Hello and welcome to Animalia, the podcast all about animals. And the weird and interesting things that they do. I'm Annie. I'm Farley. And I'm David. And today we have a special guest, a friend with us. Hi guys, I'm Ashton Dickerson. I'm a PhD student from the University of Melbourne in the Urban Light Lab. So Ashton and I work together, well, Farley too, we've all worked together during our PhDs. So maybe we can start off by Ashton telling us a little bit about what you do. Yeah, so I've always had this love for birds. I think they're really cool because no matter where you are, whether you're in the city or a country area, they're always there in the trees and you can hear them singing. And for my PhD research, I got really interested in this particular species called the willy wagtail. Um, They're widespread across most of Australia, very cute, small black bird with a tail that they wag back and forth, but these like angry white eyebrows as well. Um, But I think the thing that's most interesting about them is that they're a diurnal species, which means they're mostly active during the day, but they sing at night during their breeding season. That's really bizarre, but there's also been this folk story about that behaviour that willy wagtails are more likely to do this during a full moon. So I sort of set out to test some of these ideas around that. So are they one of the only species that actually do this, kind of sing at night, or is this kind of something that happens with a lot of birds? Yeah, so from research, we know that about, uh, I think, 70% of birds have been recorded tonight, um, recorded to sing at night. But of those species, about 30% of them are these diurnal birds, the ones that are mostly active during the day. So it's far more common than people realise. I feel like it's been in the news a lot lately too. I feel like a lot of people I've been talking to have been talking about how they've been hearing in Melbourne magpies singing at night and other birds as well and wanting to understand why. Yeah, definitely. There's something about this year that, I don't know, people seem to be listening more and maybe that's because we're cooped up at home. We appreciate nature a little bit more or something, but this year heaps of people have noticed the magpies singing at night. I guess that's a familiar song so people can put a name to it and then actually ask, like, what is that magpie doing? It's 1am, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, I actually, I had my first experience with that the other night where not magpies, but it was a common blackbird and it was singing outside my window and it kept getting incorporated in my dreams and I'd wake up and I'd hear it and I'd go back to sleep and it was recorded in my dreams and it just kept going on a repeated pattern. <laughs> It was only one night and it was just one bird, but it just drove me insane. <laughs> Did the wagtails drive you insane, Ashton? Gosh, you can, I can hear it. I can definitely hear it at night. And my housemates have noted that sometimes they're not sure if it's actually birds outside or just me in my office listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> they get a bit confused what's going on. So going along with your results again. So what is this stuff you found about the moon again? Right. So there was this folk story that willy wagtails sing more during a full moon. Um, And it's funny because it's one of those facts that you will find written on blogs and it was on Wikipedia, but it's not referenced to anything. So no one had actually ever tested if this was true. Um, So I set out and at the start, you know, there was a lot of midnight field work where I would go and actually find these willy wagtails singing at night. And then I used these special audio recorders which we can leave out in nature for a month at a time. And I actually recorded that singing, that nighttime singing from the Willy Wagtails. Um, Ended up with almost 500 hours of nighttime audio, which is heaps. If I had to listen to that, it would take me, what, 80 days or something. Um, But 
I was able to use this software which automatically extracts birdsong in a similar way that you can use technology to recognize human voice. Um, and anyway, I modeled that data, how much they were singing at night and when against the lunar cycle and found that it's not just stories that willy wagtails do sing significantly more with the full moon. Just really cool and exciting, bit bizarre. Oh. Yeah, that's super cool. And this really got picked up by the media as well too. I saw mm-hmm. articles about willy wagtails being werewolves of the birds or something like that. <laughs> yeah, the werewolves of the bird world. You know, we have this myth that the moon changes you into a werewolf or whatever, but, yeah, maybe willy wagtails are these mini little werewolves as well. I like the idea of people like some becoming werewolves and other like people are like, ah, oh, damn it. I got a, I got a willy wagtail instead. <laughs> Just this little bird. <laughs> if you get bitten by a wagtail, then you like are suddenly, you know, driven to sing in a full moon. <laughs> <laughs> you just shake your butt and sing during a full moon. <laughs> The curse of the wag wa- the werewagtail. Yeah. <laughs> it kind of works for these guys because they're so feisty and angry anyway. So, yeah, some of our listeners might actually men- um, remember that we spoke to Kaya for one of our episodes as well. So she mentioned Willy Wagtails because she was studying them as well and their angry eyebrows and their feisty natures. <laughs> so, so this this idea of uh, werewolves of the bird world inspired the idea that we could have a Halloween themed episode of Animalia where we go through examples of kind of supernatural beings in the animal kingdom. So specifically examples of what you might call werewolves or vampires or zombies that are animals. Yeah, it was was funny when we were talking about doing this episode as a bit of a Halloween special, it made me wonder about the whole werewolf thing in relation to the moon. So I went and I looked whether or not wolves actually howl more during a full moon. Oh, yeah. Absolutely no relationship. So <laughs> the moonlight does not affect howling in wolves, but coyotes also don't howl more during a full moon, but <laughs> they do howl more during a new moon, so when it's extra dark. Ooh. So it's not it's not that fairy tale relationship, but it's something. So Wait, it was there, interesting that there was no relationship there. Yeah, yeah. You think there'd be something, and also it's so weird that it's the opposite, where the, the closest mm-hmm. thing to a wolf being like a coyote, they actually are like, no, no, we like it really dark. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We, don't, we don't care if it's bright. It's like it's a bad idea to be outside if it's bright. Dark's good. Yeah. But I guess so that kind of makes sense too. Yeah, anyway. So we're saying willy wagtails are more like werewolves than wolves than are. Wolves. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Earning their title. <laughs> Tell you, there, there's a movie here. There for sure is a movie there. <laughs> Attack yeah, of the yeah. Birds Part 2. Or yeah. The Birds Part 2. The Birds two. Part 2, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we each were, for this episode, allocated a, uh, a group. So I got vampires. Farley got zombies. Ashton obviously got werewolves. Did you have more werewolf examples that you wanted to talk about, Ashton? Not really. <laughs> I mean, like, <laughs> I, mean, I can definitely think of more moon stuff. But now, give me a sec. It's nothing that cool. It's okay. I think Annie, Annie, 
<laughs> Annie, you take it away. You take it away. Oh, okay. Okay, so vampires, there are honestly so many examples that I found it really hard to choose what some good vampire options could be. Like there's a, quite a lot of blood-sucking animals. That's kind of scary that you say that there's too many many to choose from. There's too too many goodies. I love them all so much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, okay. So there's like the really obvious ones. There's like, uh, like mosquitoes and leeches. And actually that actually led me to look into, uh, you know, the whole idea that vampires are repelled by garlic. Yeah. Yeah. So it made me, look into whether mosquitoes can be repelled by garlic as well and it actually turns out so there's been some research into this and it's a common myth or not not necessarily myth but a common idea and so some research has found that if you coat your skin with garlic oil then that actually does repel mosquitoes but another study found that eating garlic doesn't doesn't help so you can't just stuff your face with garlic and then walk out into the wilderness and keep all the mosquitoes away i, I have a real bread I, I ate it's for nothing yeah. <laughs> i actually have a real world example of this when i was uh working on leatherback sea turtles in the caribbean i was told to eat garlic capsules so i've taken garlic pills before oh really order, yeah and i was destroyed by mosquitoes so <laughs> i first had experience that it does not help at all wait so That's in these so capsules funny. in these capsules farley is it just crushed up garlic is that yeah i think it was like pretty much like a garlic powder like i never l- thought about it i was only like 22 so i was pretty dumb and so i think i would just pop they would just give me these little garlic pills i was just popping them i think it was just like crushed up garlic powder like in a little capsule and i was eating it that's hilarious yeah, yeah. i wonder if that came okay. from the idea that you know vampires garlic <laughs> surely garlic powder i mean we came to that annie came to that conclusion it might be a link so maybe else could have. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if it works for other blood-sucking insects, maybe, but not mosquitoes so much. I didn't really look into that. All right. Um, another vampire. I mean, there's there's other obvious ones, but the one I really want to talk about is the there's a bird that's native to the Galapagos Islands. Is this... I'm, I'm curious whether you've actually heard of this. Is this ringing any bells? Yeah, I've heard of this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So there's a, there's a small finch native to the Galapagos Islands which usually eats seeds and invertebrates. So, so far, a normal finch. But it lives in this really harsh environment where there aren't many or aren't any permanent sources of fresh water and there's sometimes not much rainfall and sometimes there's not much food. And so when food is scarce, these finches will turn to drinking blood. To supplement, their, to supplement their food. <laughs> and so, you so, guys, what they, so you guys know Ashton is disgusted. Her face, <laughs> her face is absolute, showing absolute disgust. <laughs> Where do they get the blood from? Other finches? Or? <laughs> yep, so Farley's got a photo. Yep. Such a good wow. photo. Okay, so for the listeners. So these birds, they have really sharp bills sharp pointy bills and what they do is they attack uh boobies the bird the booby the blue-footed booby and (laughs) um another species of booby as well so they peck at them until they bleed and then they drink their blood and it's just such a graphic image because these birds have white feathers and so there's just these blood-soaked white feathers and then this 
little bird with a blood all over its bill uh, and other birds come in too. So when they've got this open wound, it'll bring in other finches as well. And so they just have this little blood feast on the, these birds. But it's kind of interesting too, because the birds don't, the, the boobies don't try and get rid of them. So either they're not too bothered or they just can't move because they're on the nest. So they're protecting their eggs and their chicks. So they just sort of sit there and take it while this bird's pecking at it until it bleeds and then just lapping up the blood. So, yeah. Yeah, there's nothing that could be good about that. (laughs) That's risk of disease and... Well, I think think it's that, exactly. I think it's the reproduction thing. I think it's that they're on the nest sitting on their eggs. And so it's like, and I know that in the areas in which these birds breed, it's super competitive for spots. And so just like, yeah, I'm just going to... Allow my blood to be taken by this little angry finch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it's thought that the way that this came about is probably at first the finches were pecking at parasites and so eating off parasites from these boobies and then that slowly evolved or adapted over time to them actually directly drinking blood. And there's some other interesting examples of this too where sometimes it's been assumed that there's a kind of mutualistic positive on all sides relationship between a bird and another animal that it's taking off ticks, but maybe that isn't true. So there's these red billed oxpeckers. So they're uh, native to sub-Saharan Africa. And so they, they live off the stuff on the skin of animals like impalas and buffalo and rhino. And I found this great quote from a paper, which is just the diet of these oxpeckers includes ticks, dead skin, mucus, saliva, blood, sweat, and tears. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's disgusting. Blood, awesome. sweat, and tears. And, and people, yeah, people initially thought that this was just a good relationship for everyone. So the birds get to eat, the hosts have fewer ticks, and that might help also like maybe clean up wounds or something as well. But some research found that the birds don't actually reduce the number of ticks on their hosts and they actually increased the amount of time it takes for their wounds to heal. No. So it's not oh. really a happy for everyone relationship. It's these these birds are parasites. That's very spooky. <laughs> that's, that's very anti-circle of life. It's just like, no, everything's working in symbiosis. It's all beautiful. It's like, no, no, these things are little jerks who open up wounds, <laughs> increase infection. <laughs> yep. All right. I've got, I've got one more vampire that I want to talk about, which is the really, really obvious one, um, the vampire bat. I feel like we can't talk about animal vampires without mentioning vampire bats. So we've actually mentioned vampire bats on this podcast before, but I'll just sort of recap. These are the only mammals that need to drink blood to survive, and there's three species of them. They only hunt when it's dark, so I feel like that fits really well with this vampire theme. They... Actually, a question. Do you know how vampire bats choose a vein? Yeah. I've seen videos of it. I should know this, but I do not. Is it heat related? Yes, absolutely heat related. So they are able to pick a vein that's near the surface. So these little hot spots on an animal's skin. And 
I don't know if this is getting into it too much, but I found this kind of interesting. So they've discovered that basically these bats have these organs around their nose, which have this specially adapted protein. So this is the protein that would usually be activated at high temperatures that would actually harm body tissues. And so that this trigger would produce this painful burning sensation. But in the bat's pit organs, the trigger point is lowered so that it's activated at just 30 degrees. And so basically they're using this adapted protein in a different way to find these hotspots basically hone in on a hot spot on an animal's skin where the vein is close to the surface and a good place to like sink in their fangs. Creepy. Creepy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like a blood sucking organ. That's creepy. Yeah. Really, like a heat sticking. So it's, it's a heat sticking <laughs> organ that's only used for blood. It's creepy. <laughs> exactly. Have you ever seen the footage of a mosquito's proboscis in a mouse ear looking for a vein? Have you ever no. seen that? No. It's creepy. They put it in and then it, you can see it moving around, see it searching for that vein until it finds it and it stabs perfectly into that to suck out the blood. What? Yeah. And when oh. a mosquito stings you or bites you, whatever you want to say, they're also producing... Um, I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, yeah, to yeah. help the blood run, but also... You can't feel it straight away. I can't remember the word. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Aesthetic or whatever. Yeah. No, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so there's like there's a whole cocktail of things inside mosquito saliva and it's so perfectly designed for seeking out those veins. It's really eerie. But there's great footage of it, of a mosquito looking for a vein in a mouse ear where they just shine a light through it so you can see everything that's happening. there's also along with blood too this is good for the american audiences australia has terrestrial leeches so america does not so we have leeches what you don't yeah i thought that was was normal it's just another horrible australian animal um (laughs) so you got so yeah australia here if you go hiking you may just get them crawling up your legs crawling over your shirt just touching a branch can just pop up on your face like i've seen them on eyeballs on eyelashes (laughs) eyelashes <laughs> everywhere they just absolutely take over i've seen my wife the first time we went out to the woods together uh annie you were there is when we went looking for the liar bird oh uh, yeah and caitlin had eight on her at one time <laughs> and she's like i'm never gonna look for this bird ever again this is so <laughs> not worth it yeah, uh, yeah you get get those leeches in southeast asia as well too like when i went to borneo i think the thing that bothered me there is and this probably happens in australia too but they drop out of the trees and so like i'd have like i had one land on my neck and like yeah that freaked me out yuck yeah but they also they also again too they also release that whatever it is the not anticoagulant the well anticoagulant but also the whatever the numbing secretion right yeah. Thank you. That's that's about as good as the explanation was. <laughs> not that great, but it's something. So yeah. Those so you can't America? feel it. You don't notice it as it's happening. No. Yeah. Vampire bats actually have that too. They have um, something in their saliva that stops the blood from clotting so they can feed for longer. Mm. Mm. I like the holes that the bat's teeth would make would be a bit bigger though, a bit more worrying to not so, have that clot over. Yeah. So they actually they have very tiny sharp teeth so i've read that the bite should be fairly subtle like some animals might not even notice that they're being bitten by a vampire bat though i mean maybe they do but kind of like acupuncture like it's a a very sharp little needle 
teeth. Although I think you're you're thinking this vampire bat's huge. They're also not that big. How how big is a vampire bat? Oh, okay. So a vampire bat, a common vampire bat, is like eight centimeters. Yeah. So they're they're little tiny tiny yeah. things. Is that <laughs> cute? Does until, that until make them cute? <laughs> until it bites into your ankle and starts licking up your blood. Yeah. <laughs> they're actually super cute. Like. I saw a video of them like licking blood off a surface and it's actually kind of adorable in a very I, weird way. I can't, honestly, I could not get behind. I understand flying fox love because they're adorable. I do not get bat love because they are freaking gross. Oh, <laughs> I disagree. Absolutely disagree. I'm team Farley on this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> Micro bats are weird. Yep. They have weird noses, but I don't know. They're, but it's sort of like, they're like flying fairy piglets. They have like pig noses and then creepy ears with like weird crests in them. <laughs> and then they suck like, your blood. Like, why do you want that? Also, Flying for reference, cross- the vampire bats live in Mexico, Central America, and South America. Yeah. Good to know. So you're okay. Don't worry. <laughs> well, no, because it's also, it's very un-Australian. It doesn't kill you. It just licks your blood. So it's right. fine. Just yeah. have to be careful of the full moons and the wagtails. <laughs> Just the <laughs> wear wagtails. Every yeah. moonlit night. <laughs> what, a, what a better, though, werewolf. You just sing. Sing and wiggle your butt. You have to go out at night, sing and dance. <laughs> That's true. Hit the bars. I think I might have already been bitten by a wagtail then. I've been known to sing and dance at night. You may have been by a wagtail, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all right so i had the zombie um category and while i really wanted to go with the kind of zombie parasite stuff i know we've talked about them in previous episodes so i didn't really want to use one of those so to recap on what happens is there are these parasites so funguses and also viruses that can control the brain most of the time of insects and cause them to pretty much do whatever the virus wants. So for ants, for instance, this fungus um, takes them to the top of trees and so that they spore generates at the top of the tree and then their spores can be sprouted out everywhere. So there's like all these different kind of examples of viruses and fungus that can take over an animal and control its brain. But I figured, because that's not really a animal being a zombie, that's more of these, you know, it's more of a virus control. It's kind of like a mind control thing. I took it a little less literally. And so what I went with instead was, what animals can die and come back to life. And so my focus was <laughs> on a couple different species. Uh, the first and probably the most impressive is the wood frog. So the wood frog is this frog species that's in North America. And it's been known for a long time that during cold weather, they're actually able to freeze. So overnight, they will not completely freeze, but I think it's 70 or 80% of them will actually free. So if you try to pick them up, they don't move. If you try to bend their leg, their leg will just break off because it's frozen. And uh, <laughs> a research project happened, I'm not sure exactly how long ago, but I found out these things can actually remain frozen for like seven months. And then once the heat comes, they can come out of it and they're totally fine. And the way they do it is they just pump their body full of one of those tissue with glucose and glucose freezes at a different temperature. And so they're actually able to survive. But yeah, That's so it's cool. 100, 193 consecutive days. Um, and the temperature range down to, 
negative 14.6. That was the average minimum temperature, which in Fahrenheit for you guys is, I don't know, actually. Sorry. Too <laughs> <laughs> we will never know. Yeah. But anyway, really cold and yet they can survive. And the fact that it can be 193 consecutive days is pretty crazy. Um, That's wild. That's such a long time. It's so long. And then just to like get a little heat and you're like, oh, okay, I can stretch out now and just slowly kind of awaken. <laughs> but yes, but their heart stops. Everything stops. Their blood stops flowing. It just, you, they go stiff as a board. You could not feel good after waking up from that. I'm sorry. But <laughs> I could, oh, that would feel wait, horrible. Horrible. Yeah. So then another animal very that cool. does a very similar thing is actually the American alligator. And so alligators are also one of those really weird animals that are actually able to freeze as well. And so this is a couple of years ago, I remember seeing videos of this, but it looks like it's a alligator farm that in Florida, because Florida over the past five years has experienced some crazy temperature uh, drops, uh, maybe potentially from global warming. Um, but the idea is that the temperatures changed, freezing has occurred. And so they'll have these alligator farms and all of a sudden look across the water is frozen on top. And all you can see sticking out is the snouts of alligators. And so then while they cannot stop breathing, what they can do is they put their snout out and they're actually able to have the water freeze around them, remain under the water, and they're actually able to keep their snouts out. Wow. I guess that okay. makes sense. Yeah. So their entire body kind of remains immobilized. They can be completely frozen underneath, or at least the top of the ice can be frozen, but they can remain under temp- uh, in, that, in that state for quite a long period of time. Is that cold-blooded, right? Yeah. Yeah, so, so that makes sense. If you can just slow down all your physiology. Slow down until you pretty much stop and, yeah. Yeah. And so there's one other quick one for cold, and I'll go on to my next thing. And that's the, if you had seen it, uh, going along with Florida having really cold temperatures is the iguanas that are temporarily um, uh, temporarily immobilized by cold. And it was like the, the storm that a bunch of different, it's like this cold front came through in Florida and iguanas were just falling out of trees and people thought they were dead. And so there's this really great story of this person who was just trying to be kind to the iguanas. So she was going around and collecting all the dead iguanas or dead iguanas, the ones he thought were dead. So she grabbed them, they're immobilized, putting them in her car and everything and driving them to the closest animal shelter. And all of a sudden, all of them came awake <laughs> because they heated up a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so she had like a dozen in her car. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, she tried to do such nice things. <laughs> um, okay. So my final one, and I really want to play a video, but I probably can't play the video, but maybe we'll try to get some audio in it. But the video I found literally calls these things zombies escaping the ground. And what the animal is, is it's an animal in Africa that's actually a fish. And it's the West African lungfish. So what lungfish are, they are a fish that's fairly ancient breed of pre, okay, called a prehistoric fish that's actually able to take mouthfuls of air when they need it. And so they actually do have lungs as well as gills. So they kind of have a combo of both. Anyway, <laughs> so primarily they live in water and freshwater streams all throughout Africa. And so the idea is that as Africa, the toughest thing is that as the, you know, dry season comes along, rivers uh, start drying up, how do you survive? And so what this fish has learned to do is it is able to create a mucous membrane around its body that then has dirt form around it and they can form a quasi cocoon around themselves. 
and they can remain in this cocoon in a dormant like state uh, feeding off of its own body. So it's being to metabolize its own muscle and its own fat and the feeding off its own state for up to two years. And then once the rain comes, this thing emerges from the ground out of its cocoon and goes to the water. So I think of anything, this is almost the most zombie-like, where it literally emerges from beneath the ground to then return into a river stream. River Fantastic. Stream. What does it look like after two years of feeding on its own body? Uh, I could, <laughs> does it look okay, like or, how you would picture a zombie fish to look like? Or should I, should I play this little video to see if it comes through? Sure. Yep. Okay. The lungfish rise. Like no. <laughs> Another animal that cannot feel good after waking up after a nap. <laughs> that's really grotesque. They're surprisingly. They oh, look surprisingly okay. I pictured holes, bony, kind of falling <laughs> apart animals. Also, but not yeah. that they're pretty. <laughs> say it's more the moment where they, yeah. Is it technically really a fish? So the fish, it's a really early fish. It's prehistoric. So you actually can see those finger, like as he describes it, the finger like fins. And so they actually have these long kind of arm, like little, look at that little stringy arms that allow them to kind of push through it. Two years. And Two it years. still looks that good. They look like, ah, <sighs> They look like an old grandfather fish with the long whiskers and the long kind of, I don't know, they've got an old look about them. Oh, totally. <laughs> also, yeah, David, thought... your question before about are they technically a fish, like that is such a massive biological question because technically fish are not like a single group. And so that's, that's why there's a podcast, No Such Thing as a Fish, because technically... <laughs> Oh, that's where the name came from. I never yeah. knew that. Yeah. It's like, well, what is a fish? Because they're, they're not a monophyletic group, as in they're not, it's not like there's a group of fish that's all descended from one fish ancestor. Technically, we are descended oh. from fish. So yeah. we do not speak phylogenetics. I'm oh, sorry. We do not do phylogenetics. I should stop doing this. <laughs> we we, we don't always do this. We're not a taxonomy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we always mash the terms for, for taxonomy stuff. But I guess like I guess the other way of saying it is, is like they branched off early, right? So they yeah. they've branched off early from other fishes. So yeah. Yeah. So what you think of as like a fish nowadays would be this would be a his, like a, yeah, like an ancestor to them and also to us kind of thing. <laughs> that makes sense? Okay. Lungfish oh, yeah. are kind of like the, the platypus of the the mammal. Yeah. They're, they're branched off early and they're super weird as a result. They are they're, super weird. They're super weird. So those are my, those are my close, there's the things I could think of that were zombie-like that were not just a virus taking over the brain and turning you into, I guess, a zombie. Again, I think that's more mind control. Mm. That's more like, yeah, the witchcraft realm of Halloween, I suppose. Which I actually, I did have another witchcrafty one, which I was oh. thinking of, which I, when we were discussing the idea of doing this, one of the things I wanted to do is potentially, because I didn't know how to phrase it. Like, how do you do witchcraft within the animal world? But I think I found an animal that does it. The, uh, I'm going to forget the name of it now. Cuttlefish. Cuttlefish, cuttlefish. do it. Cuttlefish. Because cuttlefish are able to produce pulsating waves within their skin using chromatophores. Mm. Quite hypnotizing. Hypnotize. Yeah. They completely hypnotize their prey. 
It's, a, it's more of a distraction, but it still works enough to distract, to kind of hypnotize or distract their prey for long enough where then they can grab them. But it gets even cooler because they use it in sexual displays as well. And there'll be these like sneaky males that will come in and half of their body, they can have a plain display. So they don't want to let any of the other males know that they're displaying to the females when they can use half of their body to just do that hypnotizing color display on one side. So they can be a bit sneaky and display to females whilst not making the males angry. Okay, that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. I'm not one hundred percent sure that's right, but I think it is. It's an old. Yeah, I knew that memory. they. I knew they had a like a sneaky strategy where they they pretend to be females as well. So they like you know sidle in amongst a male yeah. and a female who have it going on, and then they're like, "Oh, look, I'm just another female." Oh, whoops, here I yeah. am. I, I love it so much. They're the coolest animals. Ugh. That's like, yeah, that's very cool. It's, you should definitely check that out. It looks so cool. The cuttlefish. Yeah. The cuttlefish. Oh, another fun Australian fact too is you find cuttlefish bones through the with a cuttle bone all over the beaches in Victoria. It's crazy. It's one of the coolest things when I came here because I, I only my only real knowledge of what a cuttle bone was was we used to give it to our parakeets. And then yeah. here it's like, yeah, just go to the beach. You can find like hundreds. Easy. Give them to your birds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another thing I took for granted, I thought every beach has cuttlefish bones. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got cuttle bones and terrestrial leeches. You guys are yeah. a special country. <laughs> uh, we've got it all. <laughs> you guys got it all. Living the dream here in Australia. <laughs> I did try to have a little look for other examples of werewolves in the animal world, but they were largely quite boring compared to what you guys had. Um, I largely just found evidence that the moon doesn't affect interesting things <laughs> <laughs> which by the way this is all really good stuff for ashton's research which means that she found the one animal apparently that does react to the moon <laughs> yeah there's the other there's other research that's looked into the lunar cycle or nighttime bird song but for two of those species they sang more during a new moon which is what we saw with the coyotes or what they found with the coyotes and then there was one other species that didn't respond to the lunar cycle at all so there's clearly no hard and fast rules. Um, but largely, I think darkness during a new moon for a nocturnal animal is good. Yeah. So you often see you know, safety provided by darkness, whereas full moons mean danger because you can see. Um, so it's not quite exciting in the werewolf realm of things. <laughs> okay, this is, this is the question about for the Willy Wagtail expert. So could it be that because Willy Wagtails have that black and white coloration with white on the bottom and black up top, and they usually perch in trees when they sing, is it that they're more safe than other animals would be calling in the night? It's an interesting idea. We have drawn this parallel before with sharks because sharks also have that dark color yeah. on the top and the light color on the bottom. So depending on which side you're looking at them from, um, relative to the light environment, they should be quite camouflaged. Willy wagtails have these bright white bellies and then pitch black along the top. Um, so maybe, maybe they're shark-like, werewolf-like <laughs> yeah. little birds that sing to the moon. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting because in theory, if you sing more during a full moon, you should be putting yourself at danger from nocturnal predators, but clearly well, that doesn't seem to be a problem for willy wagtails, but these other bird species that are doing the opposite or not responding at all, perhaps predation is more of an issue for them. Yeah. It's complicated, basically. 
Oh, I have one. I'm sorry. I don't, I'm going to be wrapping this up, but there's this one experiment where they took magpie larks, um, this black and white bird and stuffed them. I mean, put it, put the skin over a robot so that they could animate what wing movements in magpie larks, <laughs> but they used the skin of a magpie lark over a robot. Cause when they sing, um, the males and females sing duets. So, but they also do coordinated wing movements. So they were testing whether a magpie lark pair with just the vocalization of a duet is more threatening than magpie lark pair with a duet and coordinated mm. wing movements is more threatening. And it was, but they put the skin of a magpie lark I mean, on a robot. <laughs> I feel like you... I should confess that there is like a, there is a robotic taxidermy swan in the basement at uni that was a potential that I could use for my research. <laughs> Do you guys realize we're doing a Halloween special and you're both are keeping these Frankenstein monsters from us? <laughs> oh, we did have Frankenstein monsters. <laughs> I didn't even think of that. Frankenstein experiments. <gasps> oh. I mean, we're going to include this because this is terrifying. There's yeah, a magpie, okay. robot magpie luck and a swan. <laughs> Oh, there was. Oh, now I'm trying to remember another study that I read yesterday, where like they made Frankenstein mosquitoes. Did they? How? Yes. Spider. Yes. Okay. Okay. There is a spider. All right. I I didn't research this enough to probably do it justice, but there is a spider that eats human blood, not by biting humans, but by eating mosquitoes that have been filled with blood. And so they, the, the, the spiders hunt the mosquitoes. And then as part of a study, they wanted to see like, well, how do the spiders choose which mosquitoes to eat? And so they got mosquitoes and they like made Frankenstein mosquitoes by like chopping them up and then putting them back together in different combinations and seeing which mosquitoes the spiders went for. And uh, it turned out they, they specifically go for, uh, females so i guess that kind of makes sense because they're the ones that drink the blood the females yes. not human blood they were going for yes yes Ooh, so the spiders that's... were going for female mosquitoes with um with the yeah. the which they judge from the antennae so cool. that's cool though that's a cool experiment yeah so whatever frankenstein mosquito you present to the spiders they pick the one with the the fluffy antennae hmm. that's cool that smart cool. study i like that <laughs> Who knew Frankenstein research was such a prevalent field? <laughs> I know. Uh, we just casually tossed out three Frankensteins without preparing for it. You guys just had it on hand. <laughs> I had nothing for moons. I was like, there's nothing. <laughs> like, it's and then not you just instead pitch out the most disgusting thing ever of just <laughs> separating a magpie lark from its skin and then putting it on top of a robot and making there it dance. There are videos in the supplementary material. It's creepy. <laughs> it <laughs> We'll, inc we'll include that on some social media platform. That'll be brilliant. Included. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I feel like we've discussed so many videos in this episode that we definitely need to share some of those. So this probably well, leads nicely into the check us out on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook and sometimes Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> well, Ashton, thank you so much for coming on and taking part in our Halloween special. Thanks for having me. It was so much fun. Uh, is there any place that people can check out your research as well if they want to? Um, Twitter's probably the best place for me. Uh, my handle is a science bird. Nice. Hmm. All right. I guess we'll wrap it up there. 
Sounds good. Well, thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Animalia, the podcast about weird and interesting animals. <laughs> <laughs> and they sure were weird and interesting, I hope. All right. <laughs> Thanks so much. Bye. Animalia Podcast is hosted by Annie Allsbrook and Farley Connolly, with occasional interjections by me, the sound engineer David Roker. Our logo is designed by Osvaldo Branklin and all original music is by Sean Pratt.